0: Had heard the invitations had heard the gospel had been implored to come to christ but one of those baptist babies you know i was just in church and i i was okay i thought 14 years old I guess it was my mother's intuition. I don't know, but my mother looked at me and she said, Kevin, what's wrong? About a week prior to that, I had been so guilt-driven, just guilt, and I was 14. I just couldn't shake it, and my mother said, you know, Kevin, what's wrong? And I, I didn't know how to answer that other than just to bluntly and blatantly say, you know, Mom, if I died, I'd go to hell. You should have seen her face, just the shock that came over her face. Welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron
1: Tyler. Great to have you along today. We're going to open up our audio archives vault and hear an interview I did back in 2016 with Dr. Kevin Jackson of Grace Baptist Church in Grenada, Mississippi. Dr. Jackson is still pastoring, preaching God's word, and equipping his people to do the work of the ministry in and around the greater Grenada community. The content for today's show was originally aired on our weekly Pastors Forum program, that I also have the privilege of hosting, Sundays at 12.45 and 7 p.m. And let me say that we're always looking to invite area pastors on the Pastors Forum program. If you're a pastor or would like to recommend your pastor to be an upcoming guest on the show, please contact Diana at 901-763-4640. We'll arrange a time real soon to have them on. Before we start today's show, let me remind you that Bot Radio Network is excited to welcome Ken Ham of Answers in Genesis to Tabernacle Church in South Haven, where Bishop Vincent Matthews is the pastor, this Sunday, March 12th, at both 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. services. Now, I realize that most of you have worship and responsibilities on Sunday mornings at your own church fellowship please consider bringing your high school and college students to hear Ken Ham on Sunday evening at 6 p.m. Tabernacle Church is located in South Haven at 7701 U.S. 51. Our staff will be there to greet you, and we're really looking forward to meeting you. Well, let's join now my conversation with Dr. Kevin Jackson from Grace Baptist in Grenada. I want to welcome Kevin Jackson from Grace Baptist Church way down in Grenada, Mississippi. Kevin, good to see you. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I think on Tuesdays you sojourn to our area in Memphis to
0: Mid-America Seminary, I, I do. I do. I'm working on a Ph.D. there, a great school, great institution, great professors, administration. So every Tuesday I come up, have seminars. It's a great experience and a great time with those professors.
1: Is it frustrating sometimes just all of the reading and all the studies, especially academic studies with the Bible, even though it's the Bible, does it sometimes become challenging,
0: tiring, overwhelming? It's certainly a challenge. I'll say that. Frustrating, no. I have some godly men who I do a Ph.D. work under. So I look at them as mentors in the faith. I'm a relatively young man. They're a good bit older than I am. Although the uh, work is rigorous, what we have to do in terms of workload, I just enjoy being around those gentlemen.
1: Why do you think it's important to go further in your education as a pastor to get that PhD? Isn't personal Bible study and development enough? Why do you have to take that extra step?
0: Yeah, I don't think you're super spiritual to do a PhD. I think uh, the Bible is enough, I think prayer is enough. But for me, everybody has to listen to the Lord themselves and make that kind of call as to what they want to do with their lives and ministry. I came to a point in my ministry where I wanted to continue education. I wanted to continue growing and learning, and I thought the Ph.D. program would be a good way to do that because you have a guide at that level, what a professor essentially is, a guide. They guide you through material germane to the Bible. So you're studying secondary sources, essentially. I had a professor in Bible college myself
1: who said, God doesn't put a supremacy on ignorance. And so stressing that the need to study and scriptures teach us to study, to show yourself to prove. Right. And yes, you can do that. But I think if you're going to especially lead as a pastor mm-hmm. and the, the counseling that you do, the I mean, you can't be too prepared, I would think.
0: No. And there seems to be a continuing need for pastors to be learners. We need to continue learning the scripture and growing in the likeness of Jesus as we seek to lead his sheep. For me, the Ph.D. program at Mid-America, I can't speak for all Ph.D. programs, but at Mid-America, what I've found is professors who want to shepherd me, and so I see that model, not only in information download, but also in practical theology, and then I'm able to go back to my church with those tools, those research tools, those writing tools, and then shepherd my people who are bankers or lawyers or physicians or stay-at-home moms or whatever they are. Yeah. Then I'm able to take that theology and meet them where they are and I think that's one of the most important things I've gotten.
1: I think that's so important to what you said Kevin because theology is practical. Walking out in our life every day you know it's yeah. not something we just overhear it's something that we live
0: and breathe each day. That's right. Theology is the application of scripture to all of life.
1: I have seen the church website for Grace Baptist Church yeah. there in Grenada. There is a I don't know if it's a page or a picture up in the balcony, it looks to be like a, a pipe organ, something historic. Now, is that picture actually taken from Grace
0: Baptist? It is not.
1: You uh, fooled me. I fooled you. <laughs> I thought there was this historic place called uh, Grace Baptist. Well,
0: it is historic, but no, I love church architecture. I love old church buildings. I found that online, and I thought, my... That is such a beautiful it's just, picture. It's beautiful. That I included that. Now, you would be surprised at how many people, just like you, have asked that same question. You know, is this in your church? I'm coming to your church because of this. I thought I should transfer my membership, you know. <laughs> we would take you. <laughs> I could
1: drive we yeah. every weekend. But seriously, uh, how long have you been at Grace?
0: I've been at Grace since 2009. It is a wonderful congregation. Sometimes in ministry, ministry is difficult. It's difficult because you're leading sheep. The Lord gave us that image for a reason, and we're sheep too. So ministry is difficult. But what I've found in Grace Baptist is a church that complements me. And what I mean by that is every pastor doesn't fit every congregation. So I have a certain gift set and certain talents that mesh well there. It's a good, good working relationship between them and me. I absolutely love them, and and they love me. In fact, last Wednesday night, I told them, I said, you know, if you guys ever decide to fire me, I'm still going to attend church here. <laughs> so then one of the leaders said, well, if we fire you, would you keep preaching? <laughs> so I said, no, I have three kids. I've got to send them to college. you know. <laughs> no. But it's a great, great fellowship there in Grace Baptist. Okay, you just mentioned three kids. Tell me about your wife and your family. Yeah, well, they're my greatest asset. My wife, Marianne, and I have been married for 15 years. We were high school sweethearts. We dated through college. And then she said yes. And I am grateful every day that she did. And we've been married for 15 years. We have three children. One, she's fastly approaching those teenage years. My father-in-law, has four daughters. He said, Kevin, they lose their mind at 13 and they get it back at 25. And so I'm almost to the brink of losing mine. And then I've got an eight year old daughter. Her name's Mary Pinson. And then I have a five year old named Seth. It is a journey, it is a joy. They did not come with a manual. So uh, I'm trying to figure this thing out with my lovely bride. Children are a delight and we can really benefit
1: by nurturing them. Mm-hmm and protecting them and training them. I've heard it said we only have like a limited number of days, cradle till the child is 18, I think it's like 7,000 days. Mm -hmm. You think about it that way, that's a big responsibility we have as parents
0: Mm -hmm. during that short period of time to get them ready for life. Right. You know, Solomon said that in Psalm 127. He said that children are arrows that we shoot out into the world. I heard Dr. Rogers, Adrian Rogers said that multiple times, you know, that you have your kids for a limited amount of time. And you have to train them to shoot them in, into the world. And uh, for them to go out into the world and make an impact for the gospel and to spread the kingdom of, of God, you've got a very limited time to disciple them and mentor them before that happens.
1: Kevin, what was your family life like growing up? Your folks and where did you grow up?
0: I grew up in Huntington, Tennessee and I am super glad to say that I did. I have not been in Huntington, Tennessee since 1994. In 94, my dad uh, received a promotion, and we moved to Grenada, Mississippi. And I have been in Grenada often on, since 1994, but I am proudly from Huntington, Tennessee, small West Tennessee town. Uh, My parents raised me at First Baptist Huntington. In fact, uh, I was there nine months before I was born. You know, I'm one of those Baptist babies. My parents are lovely people. They taught me and my brother just us two. They taught us how to love the Lord. They took us to church. They forced us to do Bible drill. At the time, part of my testimony is that before I was even saved, I knew 50 plus (laughs) verses because I was in Bible drill. I think the Lord used all of that to bring me to Him. So there
1: was a definite point in time in your life where you did understand what jesus christ did on the cross for you that it really was applicable to your life and that you had to surrender to that
0: oh absolutely in fact when i was 14 years old now i'd been in church the whole time and had heard the invitations had heard the gospel had been implored to come to christ but one of those baptist babies you know i was just in church and i i was okay i thought 14 years old I guess it was my mother's intuition. I don't know. But my mother looked at me and she said, Kevin, what's wrong? About a week prior to that, I had been so guilt driven, just guilt. And I was 14. I just couldn't shake it. And my mother said, you know, Kevin, what's wrong? And I, I didn't know how to answer that other than just to bluntly and blatantly say, you know, mom, if I died, I'd go to hell. You should have seen her face, just the shock that came over her face, because she thought, you know, I'd already been baptized, I'd already repeated prayers, I'd already done all that. She was shocked. And it was at that moment that I realized, man, I need Christ. I don't need all the trappings that come along with the church or programming or whatever. I actually need Him. That happened when I was 14 years old. Kevin, what do you think the
1: difference is? The story you just shared is repeated over and over again, you know. And there's those who have been baptized. They know those 50 verses. They have been churched. As far as they're concerned, you know, they're doing the right things. What was the difference? I mean, there was something that was almost like a light switch that turned on and showed you, hey, it's more than the baptism is more than these 50 verses. I mean, what do you suppose that difference really
0: is? It was the Holy Spirit applying the work of Christ to me. It was the difference between hearing the word and the word becoming actual to me. I knew, like I said those 50 verses, I knew the gospel. I could tell you the points of the gospel. It was for me. Some people who will actually
1: literally be offended if yeah. you even suggest that they don't have a a living relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, yeah. that that they are dependent upon this Church role membership or mm-hmm. those 50 mm-hmm. verses or, or whatever, but when it comes to that experience you're talking about.
0: Yeah. It was the realization, really, yeah. that all these other things are good. I certainly don't want to denigrate anything, any activities that a church does no. or program, programming a church. I'm just simply saying that the Holy Spirit of Jesus had to apply that to me. I had to know and realize that it was for me. The gospel was for me, and that's a work of the Holy Spirit. You know, I'm a preacher. I preach every week. I implore people to come to faith in Christ. I witness to people one-on-one, and I implore them to come to Christ. But I'm well aware of the fact that unless the Holy Spirit takes the seed that I'm throwing down, and He applies it to them. That they'll never understand the things that I'm saying.
1: I would have to think that that could probably be one of the greatest frustrations of any pastor that preaches week after week and implores people week after week to come to Jesus, Mm -hmm. to know him, and to know there are people that walk out that door every Sunday
0: that don't have that. Yeah, and for me, I've been a local church pastor for 15 years. I started in 2001 in local churches, and it's been a process for me in learning that I entrust my preaching to the Holy Spirit. So I'm not responsible to get you to that decision. I'm responsible for articulating the gospel in such a way that the Bible reveals and I'm trusting the Holy Spirit to do his work, the work that only he can do in bringing people to repentance and faith in Christ.
1: What do you like best about
0: pastoring this church? Wednesday nights. Wednesday nights, I love preaching, don't get me wrong, and I love the people through the week, but Wednesday nights are definitely my favorite because it's an informal time where I stand up, I'm just teaching you the Bible, and you can stop me and ask questions. It's a classroom Environment really is what it is. And so you've got 80 year old men, 70 year old men, 50 year old men, and 30 year old men all together asking questions and vulnerable and learning.
1: And so really, even though that you're in Grenada, and that's what, about an hour drive? That's about an hour and a half south. So even our friends in Memphis, if they want to come down for a Wednesday night? Yeah,
0: I would love that. That'd be great. We have a meal at five o'clock, and if you eat the meal, you'll never come back to Memphis. (laughs) And I love Memphis food, don't get me wrong. You've got a bow tie on right now. Yeah. So is that kind of a a tradition? I love the bow tie. I really do. I I made the transition about a year ago. I just don't know if I'll ever go back to the long one. I I enjoy the bow
1: tie. I really do. When you walked in the other day and I saw your bow tie on, I thought, you know, I need to learn how to tie a bow tie. First of all, it's a little bit different. Or do you have one of those pre-tied bow ties? No, 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 (laughs) no
0: pre-tied here. I mean, you got to learn and do it. That's what I tell my kids. You got to learn and do it, whatever it is. So daddy models that for them.
1: You mentioned that your wife, Mary Ann, you were sweethearts in Mm. high school.
0: Do you remember that first time you saw her? Oh, yeah. In fact, her sister is my age and I played baseball in high school and her sister was a bat girl. And so we were in 10th grade. I was just picking at her sister, and I said, "I'm going to date your sister." You know, I'm going to date Marianne, and she said, "No, you're not. You're never dating her." You know, and 20 years later, I married her, and we have three kids, and so <laughs> it's a laugh. Really, it's a it's a joke.
1: What was it about Marianne? I mean, you thought this was the one for you. I mean, even at that age, or were you just playing around? Uh, I was playing around.
0: <laughs> we'll just keep it. How real much here.
1: convincing did you have to do to Marianne that you were the one for her?
0: Uh, That took work. That was work. I guess that most men have to work at that. But it was just over time. We're just so comfortable with each other. Honestly, like all church talk aside, I mean, we really fit like a glove. And it's like one of those things that God put together. We're the opposite in every regard. We're the opposite, but we fit so well together. We're just a team.
1: Isn't that like God, Kevin, often to use our differences, our uniquenesses, to make us one. You know, the Bible says the two will become one because that's what marriage does. And even though we – because my wife and I are totally different. You know, we don't like the same things. But there's a chemistry there that we love each other so deeply and dearly, Mm -hmm. you know. I think today's couples, because, you know, there's some marriages that are on the brink. Divorce Mm -hmm. rate even in the church is so high. It is. I think the word selfish is key to so many troubled marriages.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think, too, the word love has been misunderstood. I think love is synonymous with lust, in today's day and age. Love means commitment. Love doesn't mean lust. And I think people fall into lust pretty easily, but they fall out of lust pretty easily, too. And love is something that I look at my wife and say, you know, you're absolutely, positively, irrevocably different than I am. But I love you anyway. I commit myself to you anyway. And we're in this together. I think that's really a struggle Today in churches and and in young married couples' lives and thought processes.
1: Time too, we change. As you mentioned, I mean, Marianne has changed quite a bit. I mean, the high school girl that you met twenty plus years ago is not the same complicated woman today. She was uncomplicated then. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding.
0: <laughs> She's going to watch and, this. And, you know, I, I, and I did
1: not mean complicated in the bad know. sense, I too. I didn't mean that at I all. Know. I guess we have to learn in the process of time of growing together.
0: That because we change too. I yes. mean, you know. I know her needs. There's a wonderful book, and I'm forgetting the author's name, but it's His Needs, Her Needs. And that book is a wonderful book. I didn't write it, so there. I'm, I'm publicizing it right there. It's a great book that explains the differences between her needs and my needs. And once you come to terms with what she needs, then you can start providing those needs. As you said a minute ago, the selfishness is understanding what I need and only wanting what I need from her. But love looks at her needs and gives to her
1: yeah we often have a tendency to want to blame the other for the mistakes of the relationship they're not meeting these expectations they're not doing this you know and that's why we're in such a jam financially Mm -hmm. that's why our kids are dysfunctional i mean that's why we're in the mess we're in especially for us men we need to man up Mm -hmm. and take on the responsibility and confess our faults Mm -hmm. find ways that we can become better leaders better husbands
0: yeah well i think first of all men need to love jesus I mean, they need to love Jesus before they love the wife. My love for my wife runs low from time to time, but my love for Jesus is what overflows to love my wife. When my love for my wife runs low, I've got to go back to the well, and that's that gospel well, and remember how much he has loved me in giving me his son. And then from that place, I'm able to give to my wife because I've received from Jesus.
1: And, you know, Kevin, we as men and all people, obviously, but we have to be reminded daily of that love because, you know, we allow so many things to cloud that, especially as men, you know, being competitive, wanting to be successful in our jobs and even successful in the community for whatever volunteer things we do with the little league team that we coach. We want to be known and have that status. Those kind of
0: things can get in the way. Of absolutely of that love relationship that we should have with Jesus. You know those those pursuits are common to all men and I think women too. I think that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. I think we have an identity crisis. I think we do not know who we are, and so we pursue a status or we pursue an identity or we pursue an image in things that are in this world, and that's idolatry. And we need to remember who we are and whose we are. Our identity was recovered by the gospel work of Christ. So Paul says in Galatians 4, God sent his son to redeem us so that we might become children of God. I mean, that's our status now. So we don't have to pursue a status in the earth. We got one in heaven. I'm
1: trying to remember the reference. I just read this the other day. I think yeah. it was in 2 Corinthians. I, I wish I could recall the exact reference, but Paul was talking, I know he was talking to the church at Corinth. Basically, and I'm paraphrasing this. We haven't been an obstacle to you, but your own affections have been an obstacle.
0: We have widened our hearts and you need to widen yours. And that's true. Your affections are misplaced. You know, that was the conclusion on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7. You know, Jesus says right there, you know, lay up treasure for yourself in heaven. Most people say, well, treasure is money, but it, it is money, but it's not limited to money. We've got a lot of treasures here in the earth. If you notice right after that passage where he says, lay up treasures for yourself in heaven, right after that, he says, don't be anxious. All of our anxieties in life are relative to our misplaced treasures in the earth. We're pursuing treasure. We're pursuing a status. We're pursuing an identity. We're pursuing things apart from Christ when God has recovered and restored everything that we actually need in and through the work of his son, Jesus. So all these anxieties, the worry and the frustration, the discouragement, the pride, all those things are merely manifestations of unbelief about the recovered identity Christ has procured for us. Is it that
1: simple, Kevin? If it's that simple, why aren't we different?
0: (laughs) It is that simple. You remember when Jesus said in Matthew 6, he says, when you pray, pray like this, and then nobody does it, (laughs) right? The latest stat I read says that 85% of people are not satisfied with their prayer life. That's eight out of every 10 people are not satisfied with the way they pray. Think about that. Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. What's the first phrase in the Lord's Prayer? Our Father. The first thing that you need to remember every day when you pray is, he's my Father, and he's our. I share him with Jesus. It is that simple. Yeah. It really is that simple. We need to remember it every day.
1: Go back to the fact that we're compared to sheep, and we, we know the comprehension of sheep, yeah. too, and we study them. We do have to be reminded.
0: He knows us well.
1: Yeah. We need men like yourself in behind the pulpits that are teaching that, that are faithful to that as leaders. But we have responsibility, too, from the pews, not on your shoulders.
0: Absolutely. Well, we share the responsibility, yeah. really. I mean, your minister at your church should minister the word to you. And what that means is your minister should remind you of the things that you already know and believe. I mean, that's what preaching is. It's reporting the facts. Just give me the facts. Report the facts. Remind people of those truths because God has ordained one day in seven for us to get together with other believers of the gospel and to be reminded. And then he endows certain men with the gift to stand up and to remind the congregation. And then from that, those men in the pews go remind themselves and their families all throughout the week. When you look at
1: the community of Grenada, because you had lived there for a number of years, were raised in Hennington. Huntington? Huntington. Huntington, yeah. excuse me, Huntington, yeah. Tennessee. Yeah. Huntington, Tennessee. Your dad transferred there. Yeah. How old were you when you transferred? I was uh, 14, 15 years old. So you've been mm-hmm. there a great part of your life, most of your life. 22 You're, years off the Right home. there in, yeah. in Grenada. That's right. Um, What about the community there? What are some standouts? What are some highlights about the community and the people in Grenada?
0: Well, we are a very racially tense town. It grieves me. It's one of the applications, I think, that needs to stem from our gospel pulpits in the town. We still are very segregated in many ways. And I think that the gospel says that now that we have been reconciled to God, we no longer look at each other according to the flesh. You know, that's what he says in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, Paul does. He says, we're all new creations in Christ. And so beginning to think differently than the world has taught us to think, uh, that's one of the things that I think are going on. I have great relationships with African-American pastors in our town and uh, have networked that for many, many years. They are good brothers. They have different perspectives on things than I do. We have had opportunities in the past few years to partner together. We have 12,000 people in our town. This past Thanksgiving, two Caucasian churches predominantly, two African-American churches got together, and we fed 950 people. We only have 12,000 in the town. We fed 950 people, and we did it together. And all four of us pastors said, we've got to stop this. We have to get people to understand that the gospel is not white, the gospel is not black, the gospel is red. And that's the blood of Christ, which covers us all. And so that was one step in that direction. So good things are going on there in Grenada. I'm excited to be a part of it.
1: When I asked that question, I never would have thought you would have answered that way. Yeah. Uh, but that's the reality.
0: It's reality. You know? I don't church things up. I hope your audience understands that. you got to tell the truth in order to address it with the gospel. And if you gloss over it and you don't really deal with it, then you're never going to deal with it with the gospel. And I think Jesus wants to touch us deeper than just our behavior. yeah. And so the way things are needs to be identified so that we can compare those and apply the gospel to them.
1: And until you make an effort, you can recognize the problem, yeah. and yet until you address it, that's the pink elephant in the room, right. you know?
0: <laughs> right. I mean, you can have meetings and meetings and meetings and meetings, but the reality is here's this gospel that we say we all believe. Now, how do we apply it? How does this look yeah. in Grenada? How does it look in Memphis? How does it look in Jackson, Mississippi or Little Rock? Arkansas? How does it look? So there's an incarnational aspect to gospel living.
1: What do you want a first-time visitor who's never walked in the doors of Grace Baptist Church to experience when they come to
0: your church? I want them to hear the promises of God. I, I want them to hear the revolutionary message of the gospel. And again, like I said a couple weeks ago when we got together, I want the Holy Spirit to take that and work in them. I can tell them the facts, but the understanding comes from God. And so I want them to hear about this incredible, infinite love that God has given us in giving us His Son, Jesus Christ
1: great word kevin thank you so much there is a website that you can go and learn more about the ministry of grace baptist yeah it's
0: gbcgrenada.org and that gbc is grace baptist church
1: i have visited the site and it's set up very nicely and as i mentioned last time video uh sermons of your messages you can actually see kevin preach right online there (laughs) and that's a real nice uh, resource
0: Well, I've been told I have a radio face, so I don't know if you want to watch that or not. But uh, no, the videos are there. The men of the church said, we want to do all we can to get what you do out. We want people to hear and benefit from uh, the gifts and the endowments that God has given you. Preaching style, what would you consider your preaching style to be? I guess expositional. What we do is we preach through books of the Bible. And I know that some people kind of have an aversion to that, but what we do is we try to follow the flow of thought of the book. Hey, it's been a delight to have you here. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank for
1: what you're doing for Christ's kingdom in the Grenada community. Amen. Thank you guys.